This morning we're going to hopefully see our great I am. That's the idea. I need to be invisible. His voice is going to be speaking through me because I'm just the messenger, but you're going to hear his words a lot more than my own this morning. And though I'm a positive person and most of what we shared was positive, there are tough times too. There are tough times. And we didn't have time to share a lot of those tough times um, trying to help a, a missionary and with a, a rebellious teenage son and one Sunday night going over there and his son, his six-year-old son is chasing him around the living room with a knife and I'm supposed to fix it, you know? And uh, Jan and Caitlin are locked out on the street in Sao Paulo in the dark because I ran in there so quickly I forgot I'd locked the car and the keys were with me. And so God's protecting them while he's protecting me or or driving my car down the road to get to a place before a, a member from our church who was away from the Lord who'd been drinking and had a gun and was going to go solve a problem, and, and the Lord protecting us, and different things like that. And there are verses in the Bible that, frankly, if you haven't heard them a lot before, or if you've never heard them, you're probably going to wish some of those phrases weren't there. Like Psalm thirty-four, nineteen: many are the afflictions of the righteous. Yippee. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. There we go, right? Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, not if, when. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame won't consume you. doesn't mean you're not going to feel like you're drowning. Doesn't mean like you're not gonna that you're not gonna feel like you're being burned alive, but he's with you. He's with us. Um, the fact is, storms come. And if you're sitting here today and you're alive, you're probably in a storm right now if you know Christ. It's not a matter of if. And you could be in many storms at the same time. We're in different storms now. I'm paying $500 a month to the Brazilian government for property taxes I shouldn't have to be just because there's so much red tape and there's so much corruption. And supposedly we'll get it all back who knows when. I don't like doing that. And I pray, and yet I trust God. We're in a family storm. Tough, tough times. Heartbreaking times. They're, they're disappointments in ministry. You could be in a storm with your job, without a job. You could be in several storms at once in relationships with your husband or your wife or your, or your kids or your parents or even with someone else in the church. I don't know. You could be having a health storm and a family storm and a financial storm all at once. Those are tough times. But we all face them. And one book that has been a huge blessing to me over the last eight months has been a book called Trusting God. It's a book by Jerry Bridges. It spoke to me so much, I've bought it by the case. Just about done giving the second box full away. And it's just some of the stuff you're going to learn this morning or hear this morning is from that book. He's a guy that's been through it, and God has spoken to my heart through it. And we're going to look at a storm this morning, a storm that, interestingly, is recorded three times by three different followers of Jesus uh, for our privilege and our learning and our use. 
And all the verses on the screen this morning, I picked on purpose out of the CSB version, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's a good, solid Bible, but it's a little bit different because we are human beings. And we can get so used to hearing a verse a certain way that we just switch it off. Oh, yeah, I know that one. Oh, yeah, I know that one. And then you see it in just a little different light, and it comes alive. And I know it's a solid translation. Um, it's the next version I'm going to actually read through. I met one of the translators while I was in Israel four years ago. And um, so anyway, if it looks a little different, that's okay. Here's the first version, Matt, uh, the first perspective, Matthew. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? Then Mark was there, and here's what he said. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Oops. I'm going, where am I? There we are. Okay. Have you still no faith? And there were filled and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, "Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him?" And then um Dr. Luke, his perspective. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, "Let's go across the other side of the lake." So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Lord, this morning as we look at you in these storms, may we learn who you are and may we be strengthened and encouraged because of, who, because of that fact. And I ask this in your son's name, amen. So the cause of following Jesus is felt by his disciples. I mean, they're in the middle of this storm. And they weren't just throwing out words when they said, Master, Master, we're perishing. I mean, that's not how we would say it today, and that's not how they said it. They weren't just saying words, and they weren't saying them in a pretty way. They're saying, Jesus, we're dying here. We're going to die. Don't you care? And I want us to look at a few scary facts about storms. I was just thinking of some of these things. And storms, even physical storms, we've been through them in Michigan. I mean, there are all kinds of storms. It's been a great spring so far. Um, they're not always this nice, are they? 
with all, all kinds of storms and tornadoes and warnings and this and that and the other thing. But even in our life storms, I mean, the fact of the matter is storms are devastating. They steal our sleep. They cause a lot of damage. They make tons of noise. They put us into panic mode. They can change the future. They take us out of our routine. They hurt people. They're unpredictable. They cause despair. And they don't pick and choose their victims. It seems to us, anyway, that's what we see when we see storms. And if you're scared of storms, they're a big deal. Our daughter's scared of storms because when we were, we were at a restaurant when she was about four years old, and it was so bad that uh, a wall in the front of the restaurant upstairs fell in and crashed right through the ceiling in the restaurant and hit a guy in the head, and we had to run into this covered area. And for years, if she saw a cloud, she'd get a stomachache. It's a good thing she was in Sao Paulo, not Grand Rapids. But she, that, and flying, flying is probably now her biggest nemesis. But it's, fear is a real thing. And it's a terrible thing. But let's quickly look at a few facts about storms. Even when we obey, a storm can show up. It's very important you remember that. I know this isn't new news to most of you, but the disciples were exactly where Jesus told them to be, doing what he told them to do. At the time, he told them to be there. And what was the immediate result? A life-threatening storm. Many other people in the Bible have been through the same thing. That's just a fact. Security in Christ doesn't guarantee the absence of danger. It's, it, it's kind of like that one scene, uh, uh, I think it's from, I don't remember, one of the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia books where it talks about, oh, Aslan's paw is so soft, and yet it's so heavy. You know, and he's a good God, but doesn't always mean he's a safe God. But he's with us when we don't think we're safe. He's controlling everything. Whatever Jesus says happens. They didn't pay any attention to what he said. He said, let's get in and go to the other side. They forgot that in the middle of the storm. All the forces of nature serve Jesus, not just the wind. The waves, too, and I'm sure here there are some boaters. Because in Michigan there are a lot of boaters. And some of you have been on, and maybe even on the big lake, when the wind has all of a sudden stopped. But just because wind stops doesn't mean waves stop. Can you imagine being in that boat and trying to compensate for the rocking back and forth while it's filling up with water and you think you're going to die and all of a sudden it just stops? You could fall out because it stopped so fast. Just imagine that feeling, the shock. I mean, all of it, those things serve Jesus. All the forces of nature, they're just certain of his, his. That which threatens to destroy us doesn't even bother our master. He puts us in the position of having him as our only option. And many of you have already been there. You know, you can't buy yourself out of this. You can't talk your way out of this. You can't get enough help. Nothing is going to make a difference. All you can do is pray and work on trusting. That's your only option. We've been there. We're there right now. All we can do is trust and pray. Problem is, many times our fear and the noise around us drown out the facts of his presence and the promises he tells us. 
the antidote for fear is faith, trusting in him and what he says in his word. But I mean, you know, just imagine these guys in the boat. At least four of them were fishermen by trade. So a tax collector's probably thinking, yo, Peter, you've been in stuff like this before. Do something. Fix this. You should know how to get us out of this. You're a fisherman. Maybe some others are thinking, well, this is a sturdy little boat. It should be able to handle this, even though it's filling up with water. Has anyone ever seen one of these things actually sink? You know, and we're, we're just waves, rain, wind, they're all noisy. They're all noisy. And we have to remember in the, in the middle of that that Jesus does life with us. Jesus was in there with them, but it's never too late to turn to him. Because even when we lack faith, he doesn't throw us out. Isn't that nice? Man. That's why none of us is Jesus. I mean, we'd probably be throwing guys out of the boat left and right for not listening, for whining, for being so afraid. You know, it's just really neat, really encouraging. It's when we stop believing that the storm is a threat, that is, that it can dominate God, that our hope and peace are real. And they're noticed by others. Don't forget, one, I think it was Mark mentioned that other boats were in the water too. Can you imagine if you're in one of those other boats and you're following Jesus across, you can't even see him in the storm. Maybe once in a while when you're up and he's down in his boat and all of a sudden everything is calm. It wasn't just calm for right around the boat that Jesus was in. Can you imagine being in a boat without Jesus and all of a sudden everything's calm? And then the way noise travels across water, you're hearing the disciples say, who are you? And worshiping Jesus. Because what Jesus did for his disciples affected the other boats too. Just crazy. Amazing. So the fact that he is with us and for us ought to positively influence everyone around us. We need to proclaim this fact. But I really want to focus in on that one question. Isn't it interesting? That was just one question. I love the way God did this for us. One question, but three angles. Because each disciple heard Jesus' question in a different way. The first one, oh, you of little faith. Jesus is talking about faith that's ineffective or useless or defective. It's weak. It's deficient. Maybe that's you this morning. But then there's another angle. Have you still no faith? Now remember, he's talking to his closest followers. Have you still no faith? In other words, you can't exercise faith. You're, you're, you're thinking, God abandoned me because of your fear. And the fact is that fear absolutely kills faith. It paralyzes you. But then there's, where is your faith? And this question is a question about focus. Problem is, a lot of times we have the wrong focus. It paralyzes you. It skews sound judgment. It looks at the circumstances and trusts something other than the one who is in full control. This is the one angle that has spoken most to me. 
And so the question is, with Christ in my boat, will I be okay? And we all know the answer. Yeah, of course. But just because it's yes, it doesn't always feel like it, right? And by the way, going to heaven is okay, all right, just in case you forgot. So another question then, what would you be willing to face if you were absolutely certain that our great I am is in complete and full control of every detail of your life? question is, can you trust God? I mean, really? Can you? That is, can you trust him in your tough times? Joseph said, therefore, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. Oops, sorry. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good. Job said, I know that you can do anything and that none of your plans can be thwarted. David said, our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Solomon said, a king's heart is like streams of water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. People, it doesn't matter whether it's Obama or Trump, Kim Kim Jong-un. They don't have to know God. They don't have to acknowledge his existence. Their hearts are still in his hand. He moves them the way he pleases. He's already written the end of the story. We already know. And everything is moving the way he wants to, and he uses them for his purposes, even if they say, you're not going to use me. He doesn't care. If you don't believe that, then you're worshiping an idol, and a very little one. Because my God controls the heart of every leader in the world. Even the ones who we would call evil. And he's letting them do things that they think are against him. And he's using them for a bigger purpose because that's who he is. Isaiah, there's a lot of proclamations. The Lord of hosts himself has planned it. Therefore, who can stand in its way? It is his hand that is outstretched, so who can turn it back? Also, from today on, God himself says in Isaiah, I am he alone, and none can deliver from my hand. I act. Who can reverse it? I form light and create darkness. I make success and create disaster. I, Yahweh, do all these things. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place. I will do all my will. And here's a verse that probably you won't like very well. Who is there who speaks and it happens unless the Lord has ordained it? Do not both adversity and good come from the hand of the Most High? Now, God isn't the author of evil, but he can allow it. And don't forget that the devil is God's devil. The devil does not act independently of God or outside God's will. God isn't going, oh, no, I didn't know he was going to do that. Hurry, hurry. 
Our church is teaching that garbage now. That God just reacts really quickly. Omnicopable. Oh, no. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not our God. Don't let them tell you that lie. Satan has to ask permission for everything he does to you. God is limiting him. That's really important. God told Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be driven away from people to live with the wild animals, and you're going to feed on grass and be drenched with dew until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of man, and he gives it to anyone he wants. And Paul said, we have also received an inheritance in him, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works, every, works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will. And then even Jesus proves that by saying to Pilate, Pilate saying to him, you're not going to talk to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus says, you would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given you from above. So can you trust God? Absolutely. That's really not the issue, is it? The real issue is, right? That is, have you developed a relationship with him that's intimate enough for you to know that you can trust he's with you in your adversity, even when you can't see any evidence of his presence or power. And adversity is in quotation marks on purpose because God has been nice enough to use and give us all these words, adversity, calamity, tragedy, tough time, uh, unexpected sad event, uh, you name it, tribulation, trial. We use all these words to describe things that we don't like. Those words God allows us to use because he's such a nice, merciful God. But all those things only mean one thing to him. Do you know what it means to God? Opportunity. That's all it is. All those things are just tools. They're just an opportunity because he wants to make us just like Jesus. That is the good. That is the greatest good. That is the highest good. And we always thought that verse, you know, people are grieving or hurting or going through a Hey, all things work together for good. And we don't even stop to understand the whole passage and realize that the good is making us more like Jesus. So if, it, if it's adversity that makes us more like Jesus, if it's suffering, by the way, it usually is. Usually it's the tough times that turn us to him and help us become more like Jesus. And they'll either make us better, or they'll make us bitter. We need to remember that. But here are some verses to encourage us. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God, for we walk by faith, not by sight. In God I trust, I will not fear. Proverbs 3, 5, you all know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. Paul said, I know the one I have believed in, and am persuaded that he's able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Or the end of Romans 8, the whole passage is great. From 28 to 39, our family memorized that. But the last verse is about us being more than conquerors and the fact that nothing, nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's a verse that Paul talks about encouragement 
for us, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have what? Hope. Through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. Hope. And the thing we need to remember is that our lack of trust in our good, good father is just as offensive to him as our disobedience. We just slap him in in the face in another area that he is in control of when we don't trust him. It's just as bad as disobeying. It's really important to remember that. These two passages are fascinating. The first one, the story speaks so loudly that we forget sometimes about what really happened at the beginning because it's where Peter gets let out of jail free in a miraculous way by an angel. But the only reason Peter was put in jail was because first King Herod got James, killed him, and he saw that it pleased the Jews, so he grabbed Peter. Peter was going to be next. God said no, and Peter got out of jail. But nobody talks about James, and Jerry Bridges brings out, if James was married just like Peter was, how did James' wife feel? Here's Peter's wife celebrating this great miracle, and James's wife is there. And her husband was just as faithful and followed Jesus, and God said, I'm taking him home. And she still had to honor God. And she still had to believe it was for the highest good and for God's glory. And then the passage in Hebrews 6, which uh, I want us to look at real quickly just because of the powerful um, symbolism in it. God is making us a promise uh, about how faithful he is to our salvation. And because there's no nothing he can do to make us understand it that's bigger than him, verse 18 says, by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, 618, we have fled for, um, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. These two unchangeable things are, he swore by his own name and he promised. I swear by my own name, God said, and if that's not enough, I also promise. We can hold fast to the hope set before us. Verse 19 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as forerunner on our behalf. We have this hope as an anchor. And a few years ago, our family had the privilege of visiting a big old ship and seeing the size of an anchor. You can tell how long ago that was. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing to see the size of those things. And then imagine that anchor having to be big enough to be on the bottom and holding a huge old ship. It's just incredible. But the power of that symbol just got to me. And I realized our hope is rooted and fully grounded in our great I am. Here's what Paul said. Now may the God of hope fill you. With joy and peace, so notice, joy and peace come from hope. And it's a sure hope. As you believe in him, as we believe in him, through what he says about himself and promises us, 
we have hope. That hope gives us joy and peace. And what else? So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that because my hope in a tough situation that my coworkers know I am going through can overflow to them. Maybe your whole department has been told, hey, you're going to be laid off. But because of your hope, you have joy and peace. And that hope can overflow and encourage the rest of the department that's also heard the news are going to be laid off. You see what I'm saying? That's how God wants us to be. Besides our hope being rooted and fully grounded in God the Father, it's centered in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So I started thinking about this and I thought and thought about it and you know, we know Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy everything, even my hope. He wants to steal my hope. But wait a minute. He can't destroy Jesus because he tried already, and he lost. He tried many times. He can't destroy Jesus. So if Jesus is my hope, my hope is indestructible. That's so awesome. And so we remember, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. Why? Because it's trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever. Because in Yah, the Lord is an everlasting rock. So I have in my head this image of this gigantic rock. Let's say it's the same size as this building and someone good enough with a hammer and chisel to chisel an anchor out of the rock because Jesus and God are one. God is my rock. Jesus is my anchor of hope. And they are one. So my anchor isn't just stuck to the rock. My anchor is the rock. It's just amazing. It's just so awesome. So we throw that question out again. Instead of what would you be willing to do, how are you going to respond to your circumstances? Since you're absolutely convinced, I hope, after what God's Word said this morning, that our great I Am is in full control of everything in your life. I have a bunch more verses, but I don't have time to show them. I just want to end with this because of how much it spoke to me. When I read this story that we read at the beginning about Jesus sleeping, a couple things came to mind. One was all the flying we do, and like I said, our daughter, she's literally almost had a panic attack in mid-flight where I thought she was going to try to get up and run out. And we're trying to help her and hold her and comfort her, and she's memorized verses. She's working out, but it's tough. Jan has gotten, Jan doesn't like turbulence Either Well, nobody likes turbulence, I guess, but Jan doesn't like it at all. But she has learned to keep her eye on the flight attendants. She only starts to really worry if it looks like the flight attendants are worried. If they get down in a special position for protection or something, then Jan's worried. Well, in the same way, in my storms, I have a choice of where I'm going to focus. Jesus was asleep. And he's the Lord of the storm. 
So no matter what's going on, no matter if my boat seems to be falling apart or filling with water and there's all this noise and everybody around me is screaming and panicking and I feel like I can't handle another second, I'm looking at the wrong things. If I will look at Jesus, I'm going to be okay. I only have to panic if Jesus wakes up all of a sudden going, oh no, a storm. (laughs) Really? Jesus said, wind and waves, you're going to do this, and you're going to stop when I say stop. If I'll keep my eyes on my sleeping Savior in my storms, Why do I not have joy and peace? Shame on me if I don't. Why would I worry? Why would I be stressed? So I just keep pulling my eyes back. And it's a choice. I don't feel like it. I have to go against my feelings. I have to think right and then obey so that I'll feel right. And I'll pull my eyes back to Jesus. Jesus is asleep. He knew about this storm. He designed it for me, or he allowed it for me for higher purposes. So all I have to do is respond in faith and glorify him while he's teaching me. Keeping my eyes on him asleep, that's all I need. That's all you need. And so today, may you keep your eyes on our Savior. May you let him Keep teaching you.